it is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. King Solomon from Ecclesiastes 7.2 God appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream and said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. The son of King David, Solomon, took over as king of the Israelite kingdom of Israel and Judah after his father, King David's death. God appeared to Solomon soon after he had been established as king. This offer from the Lord was humbly received by Solomon, who famously requested for nothing more than a discerning heart to govern God's people and to distinguish between right and wrong. 1 Kings 3 Listen to God's response in the third chapter in 1 Kings. Since you have asked for this and not long life or wealth for yourself, nor the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equals among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. What exactly is a house of feasting, and why did Solomon write that a house of mourning is better? Isn't happiness the end all be all? Can't one argue that when we are happiest, it is then that God is most glorified through us? In this conclusion, I would like to postulate that happiness should not be our main goal in life. Think about it this way. God governs over many areas of our life, such as our circumstances, our relationships, our level of knowledge and wisdom that we acquire, and well, frankly, He is sovereign over everything in the universe. So given this truth, why shouldn't we redefine our single goal to pleasing God only, mostly, and first? Just like in Solomon's case, if we put God first, not people and wealth, then we just might be surprised to see that God will in turn give us all things. His name is Jehovah Jireh, which translates the Lord will provide. I used to dream of being a Hollywood film star. My intentions were good, of course. I wanted to glorify God with a groundbreaking film about Jesus that would be enjoyed by religious and secular audiences alike. And if fame and money came with that career, I don't think I would have minded that either. I also thought that by devoting my life to film, that I was devoting my life to God. Everything good that I attempted was in the name of my religion. The truth of the matter was that while I was busy trying to please God, I was actually moving further and further away from Him. If you have ever answered the call to follow Jesus, it is highly likely that you will notice the conflict between your fleshly slash worldly desires and your spiritual desires. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. I was a temperamental person to the point of hurting a girlfriend whom I love very much. After she left me, I heard the call of Jesus on my life once again. It takes being alone to know you are never alone. I had some hard, lonely, and broken nights, but it was during those darkest of times where I finally sat quiet enough to speak and listen to God, or as I could more poignantly call the whispers of Jesus.
I was alone, but definitely not alone. God got my attention in those days, but along with his loving and comforting presence came a spirit of conviction of sin and hurt and made me sorrowful. Paul addresses this conviction in 2 Corinthians 7. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while, yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. Paul also distinguishes between worldly guilt and spiritual conviction. I am not speaking of guilt here, but conviction. You see, I did not keep a tight rein on the things that I said, or even the things that I did for that matter. I thought that because I was quote-unquote religious, I was pleasing God. I thought religion would bring me to God, and then I found out it was all worthless in his eyes. So, in a manner of speaking, I had nothing. I had done nothing. Even in my most noble attempts were the seeds of selfishness. I was looking for success, not God. I also quite literally had nothing, meaning no job, no place to live, and no prospects. I was in the house of mourning, but it was in the house of mourning where I found the secret truth. Here is the truth and conclusion I came to. My dream had already come true. The whole underlying point was to please God and to have God be number one priority in my life. God revealed himself to me in the house of mourning, and when he was revealed, so was the truth about my spirit. James 1, 19-22 reads, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And was I ever deceived? I thought that reading the Bible made me a good person, or close to God. Now I know. The state of my heart and my relationship to Jesus is what makes me good in God's eyes. Practicing and following God's will, and actually doing what the Bible teaches, is what's important. And believing, truly believing, that Jesus' sacrifice for sins has reconciled us with the Father God, and believing that he was resurrected on the third day, conquering death once and for all, believing in Jesus as Messiah and accepting him as Lord over your life is what it takes to be perfect in God's eyes. Jesus intercedes for us where we cannot. Essentially, we are pure because of Jesus' obedience alone. He approaches God like a lawyer would speak on our behalf to a judge. We are guilty, but Jesus has our back. He took our guilt upon himself in our stead, making us innocent and setting us free by his sacrifice on the cross. What then is a house of feasting, and why is it worse? It is no secret that in worldly pleasure lies temptation, and when we are tempted we sin, and sin gives birth to death, but the Spirit gives birth to life. Yes, I believe people are happy in the house of feasting. I envision a large table surrounded by people and merriment and drink. In and of itself, I don't believe feasting and parties are bad. Often on the contrary, we know that Jesus ate and enjoyed feasts with sinners. But our carnal reaction to a party is to take pleasure and joy in the people and the food. 
when we are really having a good time, it is easier to forget what life is really all about. Solomon tried every pleasure he could get his hands on or wrap his mind around to see what true goodness was. Ecclesiastes 2, 1-11 reads, I said to myself, Come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to me meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for the people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves that were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and harem as well. The delights of man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Like so many other great men and women of the Bible, Solomon realized that pleasure is empty without God. Life as a whole will be void without God. You will never be satisfied. You will never find true peace of mind. The flesh has an insatiable appetite. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Solomon wrote, The living should take this to heart. The king is clearly writing to an assumed audience. He tried, toiled, and tested life in an attempt to squeeze every drop of pleasure out of it. The king found himself slipping in the end and struggled to do what was right in God's eyes. God blessed Solomon, but his story ends quickly and quietly, even after all his accomplishments. The man who spent decades building God's temple would be led astray by his many wives to build high places for foreign and detestable gods. Solomon reigned 40 years before he passed away. What legacy are we leaving behind? Every person who listens to this podcast will die eventually. Are we seeking happiness while ignoring God's knock at the door? Are we distracting our life away and forgetting to slow down and examine our life and our ways? Are we learning anything from King Solomon? Wisdom for all things is attainable, if you want it, of course. Solomon received it, just as James exhorts, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. All our prayers are answered in different ways, but God does not say no to a request for wisdom if we trust in him for it. 
So here's my challenge to the listener of this podcast. I dare you to challenge Jesus, even if you don't believe in him, and especially if you are doubting him. Listen to this simple prayer to Jesus. Jesus, if you are real and alive, show yourself to me, reveal yourself to me, and give me a confirmation that I might believe and not doubt. Say that prayer to yourself. Jesus, if you are real and alive, show yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me and give me a confirmation that I might believe and not doubt. Dear Lord, I pray you use this podcast. I pray the listeners encouraged and spurred on to love with all their heart those you have charged to their care. Let us never neglect. Forgive us for our shortcomings and be patient with us. Help us to be your instruments of mercy and grace as we call on you for your mercy and grace in our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.